0: Who are the Mountain Meisters?
1: Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus.
0: Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mountain Meister. My name is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell here too. Haley Schiff's life circles around the latest and greatest in Big Mountain powder skiing. Attending the University of Utah, Haley finds ways to juggle the pursuit of a college degree with keeping her sponsors happy. Haley is proud to compete and ski on equipment manufactured in America by sponsors including Portland, Oregon's Deviation Skis and Park City, Utah's Pret Helmets. So Haley, tell us more.
0: I grew up here. I was born at the base of Pikes Peak in Colorado, lived in Colorado Springs, and then my dad's job moved us out to Salt Lake City a couple years later. And I pretty much learned how to ski um, here, and I grew up here, went to school here, and I just, I love Utah. I haven't left yet.
2: (laughs) Nice. Do you think you'll ever leave?
0: I don't know. Maybe. There's just so much access here as far as skiing, climbing, biking. There's so much year-round activities that it's just, it doesn't make sense to go elsewhere.
2: I was actually seriously considering going to the University of Utah to study engineering there, but I ended up just staying in New Hampshire, going to the University of New Hampshire, uh, so what year are you in at the University of Utah?
0: I am between a sophomore and a junior. I'm at my third year, though. I'm definitely doing like the six, seven-year program right yes. now. <laughs> so, I do school during the winters part-time, full-time during the fall, and then I'm going to start taking summer classes now. So I can hopefully be done with that and focus on my skiing career.
1: Yeah, tell us more about your skiing career. When did this all get started? And when did you realize that this is going to turn into a career rather than a passion?
0: I guess... Just kind of growing up, it's what I did. I was always one of the only girls in my grade or among my peers that actually skied. I always skied with guys. I never really had any girlfriends to go with. The boys were challenging for me, and it was fun to challenge myself. I did ski teams for a couple of years, and and then I taught skiing at Snowbird for a couple of years, and I actually really credit that a lot to honing in some of my skills. We did trainings. It was constantly being slowed down. The movements were slowed down, and it was just like really fun fine tuning some of those movements. And it was just a couple years ago, someone had mentioned to me, they're like, Hey, you should check out the free ride qualifiers. You should, you know, check out this mountaineering touring thing. And I was like, well, that's okay. Like that'd be cool. And, and then I started doing it. I kind of love it. And the novelty of maybe having someone else pay for the adventure, not me is kind of (laughs) cool.
2: Where has that taken you? The competitions that you've been in?
0: So I was on the wait list this year for some of the competitions, and I didn't actually get in to any, so I'll probably be a little more proactive about that. But it has taken me, I've got to go to Jackson Hole this year, I've gotten to go to Telluride, and it's cool to just go other places and ski other terrain, other snow types, meet different communities, and it's been really cool.
2: What does it take to get into these types of competitions? I have no idea.
0: Um, Guts. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But is there some sort of qualifying round? Do you have to have some sort of resume going in, or how does that work?
0: Well, there's something called the Freeride World Tour, and it's basically the world's best extreme skiers getting together, skiing some of the gnarliest faces, and it's how exciting and creatively you can ski a line that has cliffs, trees, gullies. It's there, you name it, kind of thing.
2: What do you mean by creatively skiing down these lines?
0: You want to ski a movie line. So you want to ski it something that someone could film and it would be something that you would watch on the TV and you'd be like, wow, that's really cool. That person knows how to ski. That person is talented. You get excited watching them ski that line.
1: Now, is this something that you're filming or are there people watching you there
0: It's filmed, but also people are down at the base, you know, watching you ski this.
1: Oh, wow. So this is a competition with it itself.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the crazy stepchild to regular racing, if you will.
2: Mm -hmm. How many of these competitions are there yearly? Is it something that you can really sustain a, a career off of if you have the guts?
0: If you have the sponsors to pay for it, yes.
2: It seems like the landscape for sponsorship has
1: changed where before it was only focused on let's find the best athletes within the industry and put our product on them so that way people see who is the best and think, oh, I need that product. And then the sponsors would take care of the rest of it, whether it's advertising or pumping that out, whereas it seems like nowadays there are so many outlets of exposing your talents through social media, pictures, uh, videos, and it's almost a competition of who can do that better rather than the actual sport. How much of your focus has been put on, okay, I need to make sure that I'm in touch with my fans and the people who are watching me versus I just need to focus on getting better at my sport?
0: Um, I do put a lot of time into social media, especially f- being a female skier. A lot of people don't give you the time of day to see your actual talents on the hill. But I feel like in social media, you're given that time of day more. So if I can take a really cool powder shot or a fun video or, you know, a co- really cool picture on top of a peak, that's going to speak louder sometimes than if someone just saw me ripping around.
1: Hmm. So would you say that's working to the advantage of you or
0: It's what's gotten me a helmet sponsorship. It's what's gotten me notice from different companies or social media outlets or places like the Outdoor Women's Association would have never noticed me if I hadn't had an Instagram. So hmm.
2: So which platform are you most active on?
0: Definitely Instagram. I'm really visual, and I love the pictures. I love, you know, posting my adventures, what I'm up to, and I also love seeing what other people are up to. It's really inspiring to see someone out crushing a line or they're up on Mount Superior here at Utah. It's like, that's really cool. Like, I want to do that. Or that inspires you to be creative with your next activity that you do outside.
1: Now, when you say crushing a line, are these these backcountry lines?
0: Um... Generally backcountry lines. Okay. I mean, as much as you can crush the right
1: I crush corduroy <laughs> It's
0: a little more fun to crush the powder line in a shoot or you know something in the backcountry.
2: I crush mogul lines. You do moguls?
0: Oh, oh that that's tough.
2: <laughs> yeah, I try to keep up with Ben though in the moguls. I'm on teleskis, and that's just absolutely mm-hmm. the worst. So.
0: Ooh, yeah, you should fix the heel, fix the problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes.
2: Great. <I laughs> Ooh, like that that. One, that one hurt. I don't know. <laughs>
0: You've probably heard that one before. (laughs) Actually,
2: I haven't. Fortunately, I don't know. (laughs) So these brands that you're representing, you said you have the ski company Deviation and then also your helmet company. What do they expect of you as an ambassador to do for them?
0: With deviation, it's skiing around on their skis. Every photo opportunity that I have, those skis better be on my feet. It's just local grassroots, talking to people about the skis every time I'm in a ski shop, bringing their business card with me, talking about the skis. Basically, anyone on the chairlift who's like, well, those are cool skis. What's with the, you know, what's going on here? They, they use a wood sidewall and a lot of time that brings a lot of attention. It's just always talking those up. And then with Pret helmets, it's mostly just media. They just want photos of me in their helmet. And it's something too where someone's like, hey, where'd you get that helmet? I can point them to Pret. I can talk about how light the helmet is or why I like the helmet. So it's basically like why I love the product. And I also like to be in product that I love. I don't want to ski with a product that I'm not passionate about.
2: Yeah. When we were just getting ideas for the podcast and we were trying to get our brand out there, I coined this term chairlifting. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but basically when you're on the chairlift, you have these people trapped. It's great. They're not going to jump, hopefully, unless if it's that bad of a conversation, but you can talk to them about whatever you want. And usually it's a great conversation and talking about the podcast, talking about the skis you got. So you have to remember that next time. You're on the chairlift, and it's called chairlifting. So.
0: Chairlifting. I like it. I'll, <laughs> I'll pass that on, too.
2: <laughs> Genius idea by Russell. I was very
1: impressed. So let's talk more about uh, deviation, because Russell and I were at the SIA show in Denver, mm-hmm. and that was my first time at a trade show, and I just couldn't believe how many companies are there. There's so many craft ski manufacturers, snowboard manufacturers, bindings, everything's mm-hmm. there. So What makes Deviation special? What is different about Deviation than other craft ski companies?
0: Something that I love about Deviation is it's a completely American product. They locally source all their wood. All of their wood is sustainably sourced. And they hand make every single piece of production for that ski in their shop. So there's no outsourcing whatsoever. It's a completely American-made product.
2: Wow. I was checking out their website, and just the graphics that they have, too, is a huge highlight. You can actually customize your own top sheet, which is something I've never really heard of.
0: When they um, were asking me kind of what I wanted with my ski, I got to choose the color of the base. I got to choose the top sheet. My sister's boyfriend is an artist, and he ended up designing one of the top sheets for one of my skis. And it's, it's really, really cool. If there's just, like, an image that you absolutely love or... You know, an artist that you absolutely love, we can get that top sheet put on your skis.
1: That probably helps for chairlifting too.
0: Yeah, right. I have on my resort pair, I have the artist is Emmick, and he's designed a lot of the art for bands up in Portland. And it's just this really cool kind of electric owl, and people are always like, what is that on <laughs> your skis? So <laughs> always a great kind of intro
2: so how did you find this company? I mean, they're a pretty small ski manufacturer in Portland, Oregon. You're in Utah. How do you hear about them?
0: One of the marketing directors is from Utah, and I actually went to school with her little sister a long time ago. I reached out to him over the summer, and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about competing this year and pursuing a professional skiing career, just trying to get my foot in the door, if you will. Do you need help with your social media, marketing, um, are you looking for an athlete? And they were like, yeah, we're looking for an athlete. Let's interview you. Let's see what you're all about. And they liked what I had to say. So they brought me on.
1: So you're considered a professional skier. And Mm -hmm. there are many people out there who are professional skiers. It just means you get paid. It's not necessarily something you can do for a living unless you're really successful at it. Now, Russell and I came from the corporate world where immediately we are hired, and we become professionals. There are no levels of profession. Yes, there are incentives where you can get paid more, or there are promotions, but once you get the job, you have the job, and that's simply not an option for you. Your success is a product of how you perform. Do you feel that pressure a lot? Is that tough to deal with, and do you ever just wish you were in this safe environment?
0: Um. Sometimes it'd be nice to have something a little more consistent, but what's exciting in that? Exactly. (laughs) Um, It's kind of a challenge for me. I like it. It's constantly, I like to challenge myself and I'm kind of competitive. I'm competitive. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of like, well, shoot, if she did that, I'm going to do this kind of thing. Or if I see someone else doing something, it's like, well, what can I do that's better or more exciting or more creative or different, if you will? So it's like, it's constantly changing and moving. And I like that.
1: I guess that leads to something that bugs me a lot. And you hear a lot of people say, go, go outside your comfort zone. You learn from adversity, like push yourself. And that's obviously extraordinarily important for you because you need to advance your career. But then there's this other side where you're doing stuff that's so extreme that you start to risk injury or you risk getting hurt. So how do Uh you balance those two ideas?
0: It's being, sometimes it's being smart about your choices. So for backcountry, it's, you know, getting educated about snowpack, snow quality, um, you know, different terrains, terrain traps. It's like mitigating the potential for, you know, injuries or risk or death or whatever. Ultimately, it's just kind of like being at peace with that fear and being okay with it.
2: On another level too, consistently going out and skiing and and finding these new areas. How do you stay motivated on a daily basis to to really live that professional skier's lifestyle?
0: Uh, It's that feeling you get when you get to the top of the peak. You've been up since, you know, three in the morning and you're up there, you're watching the sunrise and it's just like the ultimate, most profound peace it's just where I find my happiness and that's what keeps driving me it's or skiing down and skiing the best line you've ever had and it's perfect conditions and it's beautiful out and it's just like striving for those small little moments of this is exactly where I should be and should be doing right now
1: yeah we must be two different animals Haley because when I get to the top of the mountain at three in the morning I say I want to go home (laughs) I'm so cold
0: But well, if you've been hiking for like six hours, usually it's like this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up at three in the morning. That that I have to be honest, it's a little hard. But it's one of those, especially if you're with friends. It's like, all right, if they're doing it, we're doing it. It's gonna be worth it. Once you get out on the trail, it's like you get stoked, or I get really excited. Yeah. Anyway, some people are like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> but I get excited about it. So, and then you hike for six hours and you catch the sunrise and you're up there with your friends and, and then you just ski and you have a great time together.
2: So you've been experiencing this lifestyle, but you're also still in college. Uh, What do you, what are you majoring in, in college?
0: I am a double major in environmental studies and sociology.
2: So what do you see yourself doing with that after you graduate in eight years? I mean, like six years. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> in in the near future, hopefully, okay. um, my kind of goals are: I want to work with sustainability um, in the ski industry. Something that I've come to learn is that the manufacturing of skis is very toxic for the environment, and. I don't know what can be done, but there. I think there are ways to change that and just changing different manufacturing processes um, as far as like climate change goes. Um, as a skier, climate change is a big deal. So something with probably like research with snow or ice, it would be cool if I do pursue a master's doing something research as far as like, you know, touring to some of the peaks here in the Wasatch and, you know, learning uh, documenting the different snowpack levels or what the snow quality is like at different times of the year and coming back and comparing. So something along those lines. I have a lot, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're you're still early in your journey. I never thought that I would go to engineering school for four years, come out of it and get an aerospace job, which is kind of what I was expecting. Okay. And then two years later, quit and then start this podcast. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. uh, So if you had to choose this lifestyle of changing the world or being your professional skier where you just every day you hit these really amazing lines and you have all these sponsors, which direction would you like your life to go?
0: To be real, this, the way that climate change is going, there won't be skiing. Skiing might be done in my lifetime, and I would almost rather pursue changing that and being able to you know, have snow, if you will, so that we can continue to ski. I think it's kind of a cool platform to be a professional skier and also have this schooling um, behind me. I would like to think that I could make some change with that. So I don't know. While it's great to be skiing all the time, um, it's great to be skiing on snow. <laughs> and if there's not snow, that's a problem.
2: <laughs> that was a really tough question.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like, I really love both. And so I'm going to do both.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't handle being a professional anything. You're a professional podcaster. It's true. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a professional podcaster. <laughs>
1: Haley, I saw this picture of a cracked helmet on your Instagram. How did that happen?
0: I was working on spinning. I'm still uncomfortable with it. It's not something I'm really great at. And I decided to go off of kind of a little wind lip thing. It was something that if you were good at spinning, it would probably be, it would be no brainer. But for kind of a beginner, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely a little bit big. And I just came around, um, didn't finish the spin and Came down on the hard pack and pretty much just smacked my head on the ground. Um, And I got a concussion and everything, and it was a little bit scary.
2: Good thing you were wearing your helmet for sure.
0: Yeah, helmets are. I, I, (laughs) this is probably a little bit controversial statement, but I think it's just kind of really irresponsible to not have your helmet on. While it's like maybe you're a great skier, you think about the other people that are on the hill, and the fact of the matter is you're going, you know, 60 miles, well, Maybe not everyone goes 60 miles per hour down the hill, but like anything could happen. And it's just, it's so smart to have that helmet on. Wear your helmet. It's important and you get to have it on. There's no reason not to have it on.
1: Well, you got to weigh the risk versus the reward, right? Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. the risk of not wearing a helmet is, well, you increase your chances of dying. And maybe the reward is you feel a little bit more free. So, I mean, which one do you want?
0: The technology, these, I mean, they're helmets that are so light. Like the Pratt helmet I have is so light. I mean, it's like I'm not really wearing anything on my head. It's just kind of ridiculous to say it doesn't feel like I'm not wearing anything, kind of thing. Or put your helmet on.
2: They're warmer, in my opinion, as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Protect from the sun, too, if it's sunny out. So I don't know. Wear your helmet. (laughs) It's important.
2: (laughs) So after you cracked that one, you definitely replaced it right after that, right? Because I think you're only supposed to have one really hard fall and then once it gets cracked or damaged, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so I didn't get to ski for a week because I had the concussion and um, Pret helped me out with another helmet, so.
1: I just wanted to return back to the barriers for women within the sport. The men get a lot more exposure, and that's for one reason or another. And I've heard from other women things like slope style courses should be set up differently. Do you agree with that philosophy? Should there be different tracks or different equipment for women?
0: Equipment? Yes. That's something that I struggle with a lot. I have specifically boots. I have really small feet and they for the longest time up until this year actually, there was no boot manufacturer that actually made an adult boot in my size. Wow. Um so a lot of my career has been having ski boots that don't fit. That um, you know, I'm stuffing, I'm doubling up my socks. I have custom liners, and it's just like a big mess. That the boots don't fit. I'm uncomfortable. It's just kind of ridiculous. And to the way that the boots constructed, uh, a lot of women are knock kneed, and a lot of boot manufacturers make the ski or make boots bow legged. So it's putting stress on your feet and um, your calf muscles, and it's just kind of a mess. (laughs) That's actually an injury I've really dealt with this year is a strained perineal tendon in my calf, and it's from boots that are putting me out bow-legged, and I'm knock-kneed, and it's putting so much stress on my um, tendons that it's caused them to strain. And I mean, I could potentially tear them this season (laughs) if I don't take care of them correctly um so then dealing with that and then being in regular ski boots it's it's uncomfortable i'm not skiing as hard as i can it's like i mean there are days where i get to my car and i ball because it hurts so much
1: so that's a little ridiculous that a professional skier that that it's not the proper equipment i mean that's a big hole in the industry that probably needs Mm -hmm. to be filled
2: Mm -hmm. it's like jack's problem where he's got these huge feet and so he's got to yeah, his own shoes yeah, he gets custom shoes made for him, whatever yeah. The, yeah. All right.
0: Yeah, and I, there's, I think, a couple of ski brands like Lange has come out with a boot now that has a shell size that fits, but it's still like that's one brand out of, you know, X number of brands that they're out there.
1: There needs to be one ski boot company devoted to making boots for women with small feet. Yeah. <laughs> Little, Little people. people. <laughs> and people would pay $700 for the boots, $800.
2: I think. Well, you should Mm -hmm. ask the person right here. How much would you pay for boots that fit?
0: After how miserable I've been this year, I'd pay anything for a boot that just fits. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So what about junior boots? They're just not stiff enough?
0: Yeah. And that was kind of one of the things they wanted to do is put me in a junior race boot. But obviously, it's too soft. I need to be in something Mm. that has like a 120 flex, not a 90 flex. Yeah. So it's because I ski... If you're skiing aggressively and you're skiing these lines where you have to, you know, be able to turn on a dime, basically, you want boots that are going to respond. You want gear that's going to respond.
1: Yeah. Huh.
0: So, yeah. I feel like I totally went off topic with this No, No,
1: that, that is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that's very interesting. No, the um, only I- other thing that I, I was just kind of looking at comparisons and you look at a sport like basketball. Yes, the women use a different ball than the men. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a shorter
2: three point line uh golf, so in the f- big mountain free ride competitions, do the lines vary between men and women and the styles
0: um no it's the same face, same line, but the women definitely don't go off some of the stuff that the men do, and sometimes the women find lines that while they 're not like big cliffs or giant things that are more you know, aesthetically pleasing or, um, creative or technical, if you will. So Hmm. it's, it's kind of a balance.
2: Do you think that it's risky to have those men just doing these crazy cliffs to, to have that pressure for the women to do that as well?
0: Hmm. Um, I don't think, no, you do what you got to do. It's kind of just like what, what excites you, what makes you tick. And for some men, that's, putting their lives on the line. And for some women, it's putting their lives on the line or it's just it's kind of depends. It's it's kind of just where the industry is going, though. So I don't know.
1: Haley, thank you so much for joining us today. Russell and I really enjoyed talking to you. We're going to have everything that we've talked about today on our website, mtnmeister.com, including Pret helmets and Deviation skis. And Deviation is actually offering our listeners a special deal, 40 percent off. If you type in the code MEISTER at checkout on their website, you will get this deal. So go ahead and check that out.
2: Haley, it's been great.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good one.
2: Hey, listeners, if you're still on, probably enjoyed another one of our Mountain Meister podcasts and uh, we still need some help. There's very easy and specific way that you can help us. Yes, there is, Russell. Good point.
1: We're going to tell you how and why you should help us. The main reason is that a huge source of growth for podcasts is the iTunes New and Noteworthy section. This is a place where upcoming podcasts within their first eight weeks of launch can be placed based
2: on the number of five-star reviews and downloads that podcast receives. Yeah, and we've heard that it can help grow your podcast almost 300% just in those eight weeks, and that's, that's huge. I mean... Right now, we probably have uh, at least 30,000 listeners. Two? Two, two listeners. Okay, <laughs> two listeners, yeah. So we're looking for a few more, and you know, we want to keep spreading the love. So there are really two main drivers and two ways that you can help us, and that's five-star reviews and subscribing to our podcast.
1: Yeah, so if you would be so kind, go to iTunes, press subscribe, so you receive our podcast every weekday. And go in and leave us a review, which is hopefully five stars. Thanks, guys.